Today's episode is presented by Yelp. Yelp's mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They also offer great solutions for restaurants looking to streamline their front of house and increase sales. Millions of diners are already using Yelp, and these products are a great way to capitalize on that network. Head over to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to claim your free page and learn more about these powerful tools for your business. Now here we go. The intention was always to be human stories from the from day one. And it was always to tell these personal stories, these stories of the people behind the food, the, the people that are cooking the food in the kitchen or the growers, and to really tell that romantic story. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Are you ready to level up? The Pineapple Post has launched, and I'd like for you to be a part of it. It's a newsletter for people like you, people who want to learn and improve. It's delivered every Sunday, and it's packed with stories, videos, and audio content from the brightest minds in our industry. We're covering the latest news, innovations, and trends to inform and inspire the way you do business. When you're serious about your work and you're ready to take it to the next level, the Pineapple Post is here to help. You can sign up at pineapplepost.news. I hope you check it out. Today, I might come off as a little hypocritical. I've had the good fortune of having my brands grace the pages of almost every food publication in the country. But I also spent years out of the spotlight, and I remember how cold and frustrating those days were. When you're in, you're in. And when you're out, you're out. Those days and that kind of journalism need to be done. Today we chat with Antonio Diaz, founder of Life and Time, an independent food magazine determined to highlight the people behind the products. It's a big publication telling small stories. And today we hear Antonio's story and how he's taking professional responsibility for the recovery of our industry. Before Life and Time, I had co-founded um, a couple different design agencies. And, you know, we say like, I'm a terrible student and I'm a terrible employee. So the only thing left to be is an entrepreneur. And that's what I am. Uh, first and foremost, like, I just love building teams. I love building companies. And, you know, I had uh, a, a startup design agency uh, before Life in Time. And like I said, we were working with tech companies up in San Francisco. And at a certain point, it just became all about, you know, structure and how, you know, the profits and how we're making money and how we're outsourcing. And we're sitting down with, you know, these tech entrepreneurs with these grand ideas that could only work in San Francisco. And I have to sound super excited to be a part of it because we want their business. So there was the, the heart and soul of it was not there. And we're traveling up to San Francisco because I'm based here in L.A. And we're going up to San Francisco back and forth. And the thing that really was the highlight for me was going out to eat afterwards, after all the meetings, all the client meetings, just going and and trying out these incredible restaurants. And mind you, during that time, eight years ago, food culture was a thing in LA, but it was still really much like in its infancy. It was still Mm -hmm. kind of bubbling up. 
not what it is today. Um, and it just opened up a whole new world. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm changing with the way I eat. Like I'm not eating really fast food anymore. I want to know about this, you know, this uh, organic and like farm fresh, all this, like all these buzzy words. I want to just consume it all. Like I wanted to know. Um, and that's when we started to just do this side hustle, like this blog, you know, life and mm-hmm. time. I think it started like on Tumblr for, for a couple of months first, and then it moved over to WordPress. And it was just an outlet. It was honestly just like a, 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 an outlet, a creative outlet for myself and some of my friends that worked at the company that I had co-founded that was becoming miserable. And little by little, it started getting attention, especially in the, the filmmaking sort of aspect of it. You know, we started dabbling into short films and going out into coffee shops and telling their story in restaurants. And they would ask us, like, how much is this going to cost us? And we're like, nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we just want to tell these stories. We love you. And sat down with my co-founder at the time and told him, like, listen, this life and time thing is there's something there and I need to pursue it. So we parted ways and I became just like a proud cheerleader of them. And I went on this path of not knowing where the path was going to lead me, but, um, you know, unbeknownst to myself, like it was going to be building a media company, not just <laughs> telling stories, but also building a production company, which is what generates basically all the revenue to fund the editorial. And there's been several iterations and several evolutions throughout the the last few years. Um, you know, especially when we had the, uh, uh, the Myron Kitchen show. And then even earlier this year, we had another evolution. There's going to be a next chapter next year. Um, so it's just been a constant sort of ebb and flow of reacting to our world around us and how it's being, you know, shaped through world events and issues. And we're just adapting to that world. Out of curiosity, did you need investor capital to start it? Or have you guys been self-financed from the beginning? We've been self-financed since the very beginning. I mean, this is basically a bare bones profit and loss sort of structure. And mm-hmm. uh, there was there was a time where we, I was searching for angel investment and journalism is an extremely difficult thing to raise uh, financing for. It's almost, it's like a, you need to find an investor that knows that they're just, they're just hard, their heart is just in it. But mm-hmm. it's not going to make any. It's not going to make any money. Very, very few media companies will become highly profitable for investors. And I've also taken on the the the, the perception of journalism should be protected as much as possible and the integrity behind it. When you have investors, that integrity could be jeopardized. Even when you also have like advertisers as well. So we decided to have a production company that works with clients and that's a gener- you know what generates revenue and also experiment with like a membership based model for the editorial. Well, I want to talk about the evolution of the company, but I also want to talk about the evolution of the concept. So when it started, it was very much food focused, the origins of food. And now it seems more like it's very people focused and food is the vehicle through which you have conversations about people. Absolutely. Was that always the intention or did that is that something that evolved over time? The intention was always to be human stories from the from day one. And it was always to tell these personal stories, these stories of 
the people behind the food, the, the people that are cooking the food in the kitchen or the growers and to really tell that, you know, romantic story of all the hands that touch the food and see those beautiful photos of like the farmer's hands with the soil. You know, you've seen all those cliche photos. And that's what it was for a couple of years, to be honest, to just celebrating food culture and these people. And, you know, I don't want to say these happy stories, but there was a lot of op optimism and romance to it. And, and then we enter the Trump world and things changed very quickly. And now then you enter 2020 and things changed even quicker, you know, uh, much more grim. And to be honest, like from the beginning, I didn't really see ourselves as like a journalistic outlet. It was a hard word to say that we were journalists or we were journalism. We were, you know, we were storytellers. That's what we were. Mm -hmm. And that eventually evolved into, you know what, in order to make an impact in this world and to have media and information and, and these stories to really make some sort of dent in this universe, we're going to really need to shift our focus and shift our perception and shift our platform to have some sort of journalistic value in order to inform and to educate. And as soon as we made that switch, things started to kind of crystallize on what the mission was and where we should be headed. And it made a lot more clear on how do we sell this thing to readers? Because in the past, it was sort of this nebulous sort of, what is life and time? It's just like mm -hmm. these fun stories and beautiful photography, great videos, what, what, like it looks great, but what is it? It was hard to define it. And now it's much clearer to define our mission. And that's what it's become. It's become now we work for this mission and for this vision and not necessarily we're just a renegade of creative rebels just having some fun documenting the food world. Well, what you've created was very needed. I, as a restaurateur, I, I've looked at food media by and large and seen it as a very dehumanizing thing. And the reason I say that is because, you know, when you critically analyze a dish, it's really easy to forget everything that went into it. The labor of love to build the restaurant and create the menu and train the staff. And what I have seen in my time is it, it's, it is so easy to be critical of a singular dish, a singular experience. And it's, it's felt very isolated and it's felt very unfair because nobody's taking the aggregate into account. And it's sure it's very easy for me to complain about, you know, my own plight as a restaurateur, but it's another thing to have a somewhat objective third party come in and highlight the people involved because they, there just wasn't a lot of it. People would discuss the food. They would discuss the attempts. We would be ranked. And then that was, that was the end of the conversation. And a conversation like that empowers people to look at us as subhuman or utilitarian, as opposed to passionate people that are passionate about people and, and you know, professional servants working to service communities. And, you know, I'm curious in your time doing this, have there been stories that have really highlighted those ideals for you? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things like you hit on the nail with sort of your perception around what food media has, what it was and what it is, and it's still evolving. And now more than ever, 
it's having like an existential crisis with itself, especially in light of this social justice unrest this year. I mean, that thing just blew the lid open on every industry, but in food, it really shed light on the toxic sort of culture that food media has become. And the, the, the result of that toxic culture leads into jeopardizing the integrity of the journalism and the integrity of the stories that should be told. It led, you know, we, we, we love to build up celebrity chefs and then break them down. But at the end of the day, media was the one responsible for building them up and choosing who to cover and who to uh, shed light on. And I've become hugely critical of mainstream, primarily American-based food media. A lot of it is just that. It's just media. It's just food media, not necessarily food journalism. What we're trying to say is we're trying to cut to that noise and provide a more constructive solutions-based sort of perspective around these issues around food culture. And yes, we're telling the story of like uh, uh, the pioneers and the the people that are doing good and the passion and the people cooking in the kitchens. But we have to have to see behind beyond that. I mean, at the end of the day, local issues, national issues are all global issues at this point. And every single thing that plagues humanity, there's one way or another that gets connected to food. Every single thing, whether it's climate change, uh, immigration policy, or any COVID, like every single issue that plagues us, there's a connection back to food. And that's what we're trying to, that's what, that's the link that we're trying to, to make with our work is to say, we want to educate you and educate our readers with making sense of the world around us through something that we could all understand and have in common, which is food. So food became the Trojan horse to educate on these much bigger systemic issues around the world and that's that's to me was like the 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 sweet spot for the work that we did while the rest of food media was eating itself alive around asking itself are we inclusive do we have a diverse culture and we're seeing left and right that the systemic issues that plague food media it's now being shown to the world like people aren't taking this bullshit anymore you know we saw it with bon appetit and we saw it with uh, uh, other publications as well and we continue to see it and we need to start to uplift new voices especially independent voices and not the same players that have contributed to the toxic culture over and over which are mind you backed by corporations and by advertising at the end of the day listicles and the content that you see on these mainstream media platforms, they're not dictated by journalists. They're dictated by advertisers. Mm-hmm. Well, we, and, readers, and it brings up an yeah, it brings up an interesting point, which is that you know when you look at the 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 evolution of let's call it food media and, and the persistence of things like listicles, and then the global pandemic hits. There's a human face on food, and the listicles disappear, and it's because doing a top 10 list of restaurateurs struggling to survive is in poor taste. And, and it's, and it's led to, I, I think, again, a, a lot of soul searching within food media, because now they're saying, well, you know, were those lists always in poor taste? I would yeah. argue that they were because 
again, it, it speaks to the dehumanization of an entire workforce within an industry. It was a popularity contest. Yeah. And the content was not the product. We were the product. Our eyeballs were the product. We were being sold to the advertisers. So if it in our privacy was was the product too. So that's just that's just media 101. That's not a problem of just food media. That's a problem mm-hmm. of all media. And um, or at least the, the majority of, of corporate advertised based media. You know, we have there's there's now new independent voices. There's now other uh, uh, outlets that are really trying to do good work and um, and and say you know the, the the product is not your eyeballs. The product is the journalism, and that's where we're selling. And if we're accounted, if we're held accountable to our readers because they're the ones funding us, then the journalism has a whole new standard. Because if we start to dip into the sensationalism of journalism while we're backed and funded by readers, all they have to do is cancel their membership or cancel mm-hmm. their subscription or whatever. And we're completely at free. So we're held accountable to the readers, to the people that deserve to have the control and to be the audience for the work. We haven't really seen that in food media. There's a, a fraction of, of outlets that are reader funded and reader focused. But the majority of them are all backed by corporations or their, you know, a subset of a newspaper, but primarily they're 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 funded through advertising, and and that has to change because it's led to a complete toxic culture and blinders on the executive and the editorial teams of a lot of these publications. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have to take some responsibility myself, and I think that the restaurant industry has to take some responsibility for. Storytelling. Storytelling is your whole bag. And it's become readily apparent in the last eight months that the general public had no idea how hard things were for us and how difficult the day-to-day was, how close we were to going out of business every single day, every single week. And and restaurateurs play a part in, in not telling that story and in not being as transparent. But the media didn't cover it a lot either. And I'm curious mm-hmm. to know from your perspective, was the media in the dark as to how bad things were in, in your opinion, in your experience? Or do you think it was just a collective choice that, that we made in partnership to not discuss the more complicated aspects of the industry? I think everyone was in the dark prior to COVID. And then COVID was the thing that brought the house of cards down and just shed light on all the gaps and all the issues within the food industry, not just in media, but the entire food system. Now everybody is aware or could be made aware of all the issues that, are, that have been plaguing the industry for since the, the, the founding of this country. You know, like it stems all the way back to um, how our, you know, even our, like our immigration system created exploited labor you know at the end of the day we're in a capitalistic society and these issues that that we're facing today in the industry around cost around labor around all these issues of why these restaurants are are facing extinction these problems were already there covid was a thing that just like brought it all down and it just that's why we're facing such a huge extinction because this industry was already on sticks 
while it was on sticks, media gave this sort of beautiful perspective around food. And it was all about like critiquing and nitpicking the, the garnish on the plate. And like, you know, everything was just beautiful. And it was, food was the thing that we all go to escape from. You would mm -hmm. hear anybody who tried to do anything political, you would hear like stick to food, food. I don't want to hear my politics and food. And that was just the day-to-day -day of what food media was. It was sensationalism and it just made you feel good. It made you mm -hmm. feel like, you know, the, that, that, that amazing dessert at the end of the meal. But we were all just kidding ourselves. And COVID is, the, is, the, is now what we're facing. And now our, um, what this, this industry was always faced with. And now because content could be very tone deaf and maybe you know journalists and media is a little bit more cognizant of like what they put out because now you're dealing with deaths you know human suffering and people losing their business and losing their you know their livelihood now it was a little bit more empathetic mm -hmm. so at least it's it's something yeah. close proximity doesn't always ensure a complete understanding of a person and what their life is truly like and you and I landed in a WhatsApp group together called Order in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, and you had a front row seat to watching dozens of us as restaurateurs scramble to determine what our next steps were going to be. Uh, and I can't imagine that you didn't sit in there and feel our panic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering, did that change how you see us? And were there any revelations from having that front row seat to our situation. You know, when I got invited to that group early on, that was just one of many conversations and, 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 and groups that we were um, listening to and engaging with and just observing at a rapid pace in March. I mean, that's when shit hit the fan and this was just like completely unprecedented. It was just new, right? But I will say... A lot of those conversations and a lot of the 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 the, uh, the the messages that I was seeing were already conversations that we've been trying to have for the longest time. We've already tried to understand the issues that restaurateurs and 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 uh, and the restaurant industry are facing with. So it wasn't necessarily like an eye-opening experience because we were already digging into how our food system work and the issues that plague around it for years, you know, I mean, uh, 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 you know, through documentary, through art storytelling. So it was nothing out of the ordinary to, to be immersed in this group, but it was out of the ordinary to see how an industry was basically being decimated in a matter of days and weeks. And that led to some very heart wrenching conversations and, and 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 uh, um, stories that we could uh, we could also like attach ourselves to and and to tell others. Did the pandemic change the way you chose to cover food? I would say not the pandemic, but I will say the what Black Lives Matter and this social justice movement that we saw this this year only realigned us to the path that we needed to be on. So the pandemic contributed to that a little bit, but from a philosophical 
perspective and from like a 30,000 foot level perspective, we started to see how inclusivity and who has a seat at the table in media and how media covers others, we started to see how that was transformed because of the, uh, uh, the events through, through Black Lives Matters and stemming from you know, the death of George, George Floyd and how that kind of unraveled you know, so much change throughout this country like, yes, there was a part of it that was based on police brutality, but then that became so much bigger around equity in all industries and how we perceive others and how we tell the story of others. To be honest, we also looked at ourselves and we started to look at who are the journalists that we're hiring and what are the stories that we're telling and how can we also make some change. Mind you, we've always been about inclusivity and finding um, you know, the voices that are unheard. And we have a track record of, of doing that with a lot of our stories. And that kind of light bulb went off when we started the Myron Kitchen you know, four years ago or whatever that was. And that's when we started to get better sense of how do stories and race and inclusivity kind of mesh together in the food industry and through media. I will say the pandemic didn't necessarily change too much of how we do business and what we do. It definitely put in us more in like a, a, a heightened state of we have to cover more timely events because things were changing so quickly. We were mostly telling the stories that were a little bit more timeless and, and stories that had a little bit longer lifespan. But in COVID, something that happened last week is already right. old, old news. Um, but I think it was just a combination of so many things. And this year alone just completely transformed how we see and how we, you know, how we see food media. It was always, the, the ethos was always there. I think this just kind of refined it. It's a industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I'd like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any words of encouragement or advice you'd like to offer? I would say look to the people that are unheard and the people that are really trying to make a difference in this world and uplift them, provide a voice to them. The whole industry is being decimated. Yes, we need those celebrity chefs and those restaurateurs knocking on Washington's doors to save the industry. But let's also not forget about all the little independent voices that don't have the luxury of having there's a celebrity chef on their payroll. Um, they're just trying to survive tomorrow. You know, let's support them. Let's provide a voice to them. That's Antonio Diaz, founder of Life and Time. To check out the magazine, go to lifeandtime.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our other content, or read our daily publication, go to fullcomp.media. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.